Scott Dunn is a multi-award-winning luxury tour operator that has recently been included in the Condé Nast Traveller list of top travel specialists for being an expert in family holidays. Specialising in tailor-made family travel for over 30 years, their travel specialists visit all the places they offer, so know the properties in the local area inside out. Whether you're looking for a kids' club with a range of exciting activities or a great family adventure, their tailor-made approach means that they can create the perfect holiday for you and your family. Scott Dunn explores kids' clubs for children aged 4 months to 11 years, operate across the Mediterranean, the Alps, the Maldives and most recently Mauritius. They are all run by teams of experienced childcare professionals and offer exciting daily activities. Their clubs are split into four age groups to ensure your children take part in age-appropriate activities and the child-to-nanny ratios are some of the best in the industry. Your little ones will have the opportunity to learn new skills, explore the local culture and make new friends along the way, whilst you take Take a well-earned rest. Scott Dunn is offering all the Parenthood listeners £500 off any Scott Dunn Explorers Kids Club holiday. To find out more, please call and quote The Parenthood. Terms and conditions apply. Please see scottdunn.com forward slash family for more information. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Of all the phases of parenting, puberty and adolescence is one of the most widely feared. This prospect of our innocent, doe-eyed children becoming adults, capable of reproduction and having sexual desire, is something most of us parents shudder at the thought of. But terrifying as it sounds, it's a time in our children's lives when they need us the most. They need us to prepare them for what will happen to their bodies, and also to understand that the door is open should they have any questions. For most of us parents, that personal experience of puberty has long been forgotten about. And so I'm delighted and slightly daunted uh, about this conversation. But with me, I've got the co-founder of The Parenthood, Dr. Kiara Hunt, with me today so that I can grill her about this terrifying but fast approaching time in my children's lives. But Kiara, thank you for coming along to talk about puberty. I think it's a topic that often scares parents because... I think maybe we, it wasn't dealt with that well when we were children. When I sort of, you know, think back, we're not half as honest, or I don't think in our generation, teachers or parents were quite as good at talking to their children about sort of body changes and sex and sexual things as potentially we are with our children. So, I th- and I think, you know, it can be a bit of an, it can be a bit of a, a scary thing to talk about with your sort of yeah, little I think, child. Yeah, I think any change is a little bit scary, both for the children and for their parents. You know, we want them to stay our sweet little children forever and suddenly they start changing in ways that's making them much more adult-like. And, and that can be... That and sexualized too, which yeah. is kind of a bit gross in yeah, a way. Yeah, it can be. It can be scary. But it's also exciting. They're growing into into adults and they're developing their own individual personalities and body body you know the way their body looks so I think puberty should be something we talk about with children from a really young age so that they know what to expect and they're not scared by it too yeah I think you know rather than be something you're scared of you know talk about you know that your your idea that the body change is exciting but also it gives you the power to have a child which is one of I think the best things that we do as as as, as people yeah absolutely I think talking to your children about the changes that are going to happen can start from a really young age. You know, they can see the difference between their parents' bodies and their bodies, and children will often ask about that. And little, you know, girls will ask, will they will they get breasts? And little boys will want to know if their penis and and, and scrotum will look like their fathers. And and and, and being get hairy open, and yeah, being open about those conversations, letting them see you naked, you know, from quite a young age, you know, from from birth, really, uh, is I think is really important. So they know what normal is, and it's not just images that they might see later on you know on online or in magazines or books and it's probably really important that you know the parents own the conversation as opposed to feel you know the children feel that they can't have this conversation with the parents and so they seek their information elsewhere either online I mean even I'm sure I'm pretty sure that puberty is covered in school but it's probably not the best environment in which to have that kind of conversation well, you're is embarrassed. It? you've got your friends you know listening into the conversation not going to ask questions that might make you look a bit silly or like that you don't know so whereas if that conversation has been in the background all of your childhood you know be that 
you know, asking your mother what those tampons are that she's buying in the supermarket or talking about your dog that's in season and why that happens or, you know, even being in the bathroom, you know, with your mother while she's changing her pad or, you know, that sort of thing is, is, is all part of growing up and it helps facilitate those sort of conversations. So I always try and encourage people to be, to be sort of open and, and, and allow their children to ask them questions if they, if they want. It's one of the sort of things that comes up again and again on this podcast is how you talk to children about mm. things that you might not find easy to talk about. Mm. And one of our guests, Emma Gledhill, always talked about these teachable moments so that you mm. don't sit down with your child and go, right, we need to talk about puberty. But instead, you basically live life as openly as possible. And when something crops up in conversation, you can say, oh, yes, well, this is what periods are because mm. they're interested anyway. And it's a much less scary way to tackle that kind of yeah. conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's like the sex talk. You don't have the period talk or the puberty talk. It is it is part of a series of conversations that happen you know throughout childhood yeah an ongoing conversation so let's talk a little bit about puberty just give us an idea of when puberty usually starts for children so i mean the trouble with this is that there is such variation if you want an average girls around 11 boys around 12 but basically it's anywhere between 8 and 14 years old so i'll see you know i'll see girls who who haven't started their period and they're they're 13 14 and others who are starting to to develop signs of puberty around 8 and both of those are, are normal but in terms of what's average, yeah, about 11 and 12. And, and, uh, and it is different for everyone. And it is important to reassure your child if they're early or late that that is still normal and there's not something weird about them. And, you know, when do you think ideally that talk should happen? I mean, I kind of think you've already answered yeah, the question, think, but it's as early as starting as early yeah. as possible, isn't yeah. it? It's, always, yeah. it's never too early, is it? It's never too early. And, you know, they'll also see, especially when they're getting to 8, 9, 10, 11, that their classmates' body shapes are all very different. And so that, that, that will probably already arise in conversation. You know, why is my friend such and such already developing breasts? Or, you know, why is my friend so much taller than me? Or I've noticed, you know, he started getting hair under his arms or whatever whatever is happening that is often brought home and can be talked about Uh, also one of the interesting things is that children are really open and curious when they're younger and as they get a little bit older they become a bit more squeamish and unwilling to listen to these sort of potentially you know gross conversations boys and girls boys and girls so actually in terms of sort of discussing this earlier rather than later you they're sort of easier they're an easier project to talk about this mm. to than than slightly later on so that's mm. another reason for having that starting that conversation mm. earlier rather than later and like you mentioned earlier being positive and having positivity around it which is really important because so often people talk about puberty or periods or you know body changes in a negative way and it should be celebrated it is you know a, a girl's body changing into a woman's body to allow her to have children and using terms like the curse or terms that are derogatory or have negative connotations are just unhelpful it should be we had um, emma cannon who's an acupuncturist and fertility expert on this podcast and we were talking actually about periods and and again you know how it was portrayed and she said she's got two daughters and she said that when they got their periods she gave them each a little present as a celebration and it was a big ostentatious Mm. thing but Mm. quietly she said i'm so excited that you've now entered this phase of your life and i can't wait for this to begin and i think that's a really lovely way Mm. to i mean i know that some people do like whole period parties and take it to the (laughs) other extreme which i think might be a bit much for the sort of introverted 14 year old (laughs) but I love the idea of, of a little present yeah so just talk to me about what happens through puberty obviously very different for boys and girls let's start with girls what what are the signs that puberty is starting because it's not just a period starting no absolutely and actually people often think that is puberty your period starting but it's not at all that often happens about two years into puberty and the whole puberty process lasts about four years it's not it's not a quick thing that happens over a few months and suddenly your little girl is a woman so what what happens is usually um, breast buds start to appear so you start getting they start getting small small breasts that will gradually enlarge that's usually one of the first things and this starts as like a little lump that can often feel a bit like a not great lump yeah absolutely so I'll often I'll often have girls coming to see me just to check that it's that it is normal because often again one will start before the other so you might just have a lump sort of breast bud starting on one side of the breast which can feel like a breast lump so that's normal in the same way that most women have slightly asymmetrical breasts they're not they're not exactly the same so that's one of the first things and usually I mean, it's a rule of thumb, a general rule. Your period will come roughly about two years after your breasts have started developing. So that will happen. Body odour will often start, and that can start before, actually. 
hair, so a little bit of of downy hair developing under the arms and between the legs. And as puberty continues, that becomes sort of coarser and the hairs become curlier. Sometimes girls will notice that they get a bit of facial hair too. That can be quite difficult for some of them. I thought that was an older thing, though, no, as you sort of no. got to the menopause. No, not at all. So you can, it depends on your hair type and your skin type, but it is quite common for, for people. And all that secondary hair that you get, facial hair is part of that. So it sort of goes along with underarm hair and hair between the legs and, and coarser leg hair. And then the, the, the skin, the hormone changes can, can also start to affect the skin and they can start getting spots. And the body shape changes and they usually put on a bit of weight. That's quite common as you get more of a, a pear shape into the sort of womanly body usually from the girl shape. So all of those things are quite, can be quite difficult to deal with because it's big changes. And then you've got hormones going up and down every month, which causes mood swings and being more emotional than normal. And then you've got your body image changing and that can make you feel insecure. So it's a really difficult time. So it's really interesting, actually, going back to having the talk that I kind of thought, well, we talked about periods, they know about puberty, but actually it's a, the tip of the iceberg of puberty. It's really important that you're having the conversation around skin changing, mm. around body shape changing, mm. around breast developing, around feelings and hormones mm. and emotions too. And I guess signaling to them that, it's it's okay to feel a bit wobbly it's a bit like we say to you know we say to women when we're teaching them during their pregnancy about how they're going to feel after birth tell them telling them that it is normal to get the baby blues you know in those in that week or so after birth and that is if you expect it and know that it's normal then you're not worried about it and it's the same with same with puberty if you explain to your girl or boy that this is going to happen or is likely to happen and it is normal and reassure them rather than sort of getting into endless arguments or you know frustrations so the other thing actually that, that I didn't mention with body changes that is quite important is they girls will often start to get a sort of white discharge, vaginal discharge, before their period comes in that sort of six to 12 months before their period comes. And so again, a lot, a lot of people worry about this and think there's an infection or something and uh, and that is not, it's completely normal. And if you're... If, if your daughter is showing, showing these signs sort of before eight, is that something to go to the doctor about? Yeah, so I think around, you know, there are lots of changes around puberty and most of them are completely normal, but there are some things that are out of the realms of sort of normal. It doesn't mean they're abnormal, but it means you should probably get it checked. So if they're having yeah, significant signs of puberty before the age of eight or nothing sort of by the age of 14, 15, I would go and speak to the doctor about it. So if, 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 if your daughter is 15 and hasn't had her period yet, even though she might have some signs of puberty, it's probably worth checking that. Is it hereditary, like when you got yes, your period? Yes, it, and... it does often go uh, along a similar sort of pattern as your mother. If, you know, if they've had sort of signs of puberty for more than three years and the periods haven't come, so as I said, normally the period comes about two years after puberty, signs like breasts and hair um, start, but if that hasn't happened. What um, could be the reason that girls don't get their periods? So it could be a hormone imbalance, and that's what you're checking for. It could also be lifestyle-related. It could be if they're doing a lot of exercise or they're a gymnast or they're trying to keep their weight down for a certain sport or, or, or hobby or they have an eating disorder. You know, there are lots of things like that that could be su- suppressing the hormones and stopping the periods coming. Or it just could be on the normal late end of the spectrum. So it doesn't mean there's always a problem, but it's worth checking out. And I mean, I remember being a sort of early teenager and dreading getting my period. I yeah. really dreaded it. I was a bit scared because I just thought it must hurt if there's blood there. Mm. Well, a lot um, of people think that. And that's why talking about these things before can really help. People think there's loads of blood. I mean, children associate blood with pain. So yeah, you, if you wrong. say to them, you're going to be bleed, you know, bleeding out of your vagina when your period comes, that is quite scary if you leave it at that. But if you explain to them you know, how much it is, that it's not pain... You know, that it's not painful in the same way a cut is that it's completely normal and means you're healthy and your body's doing exactly what it should be doing you know that that will of course help and I think as an exercise one of the things I've learned from doing this podcast is when you're talking to your child trying to understand whatever you're talking about from their perspective which Mm. is often very different from ours and so understanding how that might be potentially scary and allowing them listening and allowing them to to ask questions yeah so having for example a lot of children will be worried so for the mother they what they want to just they want their child's period to come because they wanted them to know it's normal but for the child 
they're thinking, well, it's going to come, you know, anytime soon because I've started having these changes. But what if it comes in school and I suddenly have like a big red stain on my skirt or um, who do I ask or how can I stop that happening? And so explaining to them that actually the first period is often very light, only lasts a day or two and it's a bit of, of brownie discharge, but also giving them the reassurance of putting a pad in their school bag so that they've got a pad there if they did need it can be really comforting, knowing that they can go and talk to any, you know, female teacher or school nurse who will who will be able to get them a pad, you know, telling them that they can just put some loo roll in their in their in their underwear if they are really desperate. You know, those sort of things I think can be quite reassuring. Yeah, I mean, I remember thinking the first time I had a period, it would like be a massive hemorrhage and, mm. you know, whatever I was wearing would be sort of soaked through. And it didn't help that we had to wear these sort of white outfits at our school mm. to, you know. Mm. Yeah. And I just remember that was like yeah. killer for yeah. sort of hormonal teenage yeah. girls. But again, women, girls often think it is a lot of blood and it can feel like a lot of blood, but the average pe- normal period is only two to three teaspoons of blood. So it's not. What, in the whole period? Per day, per day. Yeah. So it's not a it's not a huge amount. And w- what are periods like for girls when they first get them? Do they do you get your period first time and then it comes regularly every month and that sort of started or does it sort of is it a bit more tenuous? No, it's 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 absolutely not regular straight away. So uh, the f- your the first two years after your period starts, it's likely to be very irregular. And it may you may have a little that first one, which is light, and you may not have anything for a few more months after that. And then the, another one comes, and then it might come every six weeks, and then it might go down to three weeks, three months. You know, so it's irregular and it hasn't doesn't necessarily have a distinct pattern often for the first couple of years. And then it will settle into what is normal for you. And what about kind of cramps? I remember my first period being unbelievably painful and then it was absolutely fine after that is it normal for period cramps to be more intense at the beginning it's quite common yeah for the I mean a that pain is new to the child so they and what don't is really that period it. what is that pain is it it's, your, it's uterus? your uterus contracting to get the to get the blood out essentially so it's that's that pelvic cramp and yes uh, girls do often describe their first few periods as first few proper periods as 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 quite painful and then it settles into their normal rhythm but again allowing them the opportunity to take anti, you know painkillers anti-inflammatories if that's what they need and that will help them giving them access to that and if it is particularly heavy so some girls do have particularly heavy periods that won't you know won't let them you know will stop them going to school or make them want to stay in the house and not go out and about so sort of Giving, giving them the opportunity to, to take some medicine to help with that is life-changing sometimes. What about emotionally? I mean, we, I think all of us women know that premenstrual tension, PMT, can um, be quite a difficult thing to live with. You just feel different in, in and around your period. Does the, do these sort of like hormonal sort of behavioral emotional changes, do they start as soon as puberty starts or is that something that's associated with your period? And is it as intense as, as women who, you know, are in their 30s? So you definitely can get, or girls do start getting hormonal changes associated with their cycles. And that is, so there, there is a shift in, in behavior and, and sort of emotion, how emotional they are when the puberty starts. And you'll speak to a lot of parents, they're like, well, well before her period came, she started to be pretty grumpy. But, and but what is that? Well, it's just re- reaction. Well, I think it's a combination of things. It's reaction to the hormones changing. So the way those hormones are making you feel, but also um, a sort of emotional reaction to your body changing and your and your body image and how you view yourself and 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 I think and you know growing up and pushing those boundaries with your parents and your teachers and you know, it all comes at the same time. I guess, like having a conversation. You know, I think a lot of grown up women sort of take the piss a bit out of their you know their their emotional state around their period and I think that probably can be really helpful you mm. know having a laugh about it when things sort of seem so bleak mm. that you can allow your child to to feel like that but also mm. have a little laugh and go I get it mm. I totally get it mm. it is it's, a, it's an emotional roller coaster, and you can kind of be on their side for it rather than um sort of it beginning it to be the beginning of conflict is it's going to be much easier for you also they, they go in and out of it really quickly so you know they, your, your sort of teenage boy might come down from you know from his his sleep in the morning you know really grumpy monosyllabic not wanting to talk to you but you know you give him breakfast and sudden and you know he's given a, a half an hour and suddenly he's he's back to normal so if you've sort of engaged in a why are you so grumpy this morning conversation that's not helping anyone so you basically give them a hug if they ignore want it, it yeah ignore it yeah. and hopefully they snap out of it yeah, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about pregnancy. Can a girl get pregnant before she's got her period? So a girl can get pregnant as soon as she starts having sex. 
which uh, you, know, you, have to, to you have to be ovulating exactly so so as soon as your periods start of course you can get pregnant but of, often you will ovulate before your period starts so yes in theory it is possible to uh, a bit like pregnant a before. woman who's had a baby yes, exactly. can get pregnant before she's had her first period Absolutely. because it's about the ovulation yeah, yeah the likelihood of that very much depends on what age the child is when they're starting their period and because it is such a there is such a huge variation in that that's going to play a role in the conversations you have with your with your children but essentially you know the message should be as soon as you are sexually active you can potentially get pregnant even if your periods aren't regular or you've had one and then you've had a six-month gap or and I know that you know our fertility starts to dwindle after about 20 and we are super fertile in our teens mm. are women already very fertile from their first period yes. they are yeah yeah, <laughs> you've got to be really be having the sex conversation. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, um, yes, exactly. Hopefully, parents would be knowing if their children are are sexually active at the time that their periods are starting, and will have had that conversation already. Yeah, and that's a whole different podcast. And that is a whole different podcast. Lots of sort of questions that girls are, are worried about. You know, they'll often they'll often want to know and haven't had the chat with their parents because it's embarrassing about what to use for their periods. Do they use pads or can they use tampons and is is it painful to put a tampon in does that mean they're no longer a virgin if they've used a tampon and you know all these questions that that you can totally understand where they're coming from so what I normally say to them is you know for the first period few periods use a pad so you've got an idea of what your flow is like what's normal for you but as soon as you can uh, if it's I mean obviously if it's culturally acceptable some cultures it is different but then you know tampons make life so much easier and you just need a little bit of you just need to know a little bit about your anatomy and there's some great leaflets on on the on the on the NHS website or on various internet websites which will explain to you exactly how to do it if you don't want to talk to your 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 fat your mother about it but it is easy it doesn't hurt and and it, it makes life I mean, it a can hurt a bit at the beginning, can't it? Depends. Putting a tampon in. If- so for for most people, it it's, it can be feel uncomfortable, but it shouldn't be painful. And they you know use the minis than the one with the applicator that is smoother and easier to put in. Most girls, you know, they fiddle about with it, you know, for an hour or two in the loo trying to work it out. But once they have, they're fine with it. If you're so if normally when the girl's periods come their hymen is broken a little bit and when if if when they're putting a tampon in it, it tears it a little bit more that can be painful but that is the once and that a hymen breaking can often be broken by riding a yes, horse or riding yeah. a bicycle yes. so do most most girls have had you know their hymen yeah. is broken anyway before yes. they get their first period yes and you you, you you are a virgin until you have sex a, a tampon is not gonna make you into someone who's no longer a virgin yeah and what so is the is hymen important a skin essentially that is on the inside of the vagina but sort of blocking it yes essentially from a young prepubertal girl's age but as the as the uh, hormones start to take effect and the girl develops you know that the hymen will will slowly start to come apart and the period blood has to come out obviously are there any I mean yeah I, I suppose YouTube wasn't around when I was little but you know that there's something that someone really can't show you to do you've got to kind of no, work there are, it out there's yourself. some great sort of cartoons of you know, anatomical cartoons on youtube i mean make sure you i mean that's something i would be talking asking your mother to find for you because there's i'm sure some really wrong videos around that too but yes there's some great through the i know that uh, i usually refer my my patients through the nhs website which has got some great links to 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 leaflets but also to to videos that and also for people with learning disabilities explaining it to them so it's that's probably the most useful resource I'd say and then and then the other question I often get uh, around tampons is is you know what if I get what if I forget to take it out can it get stuck can, you know can it get lost inside my body all this sort of thing so it's important to to explain to your to your daughter that you no know, it can't get lost you know there's only so far it can go if you leave it in that can cause you to get an infection and if you and if you can't get it out your doctor can get it out for you that's you know relatively common thing that doctors are asked to do so but it's not that if you've forgotten to take it out it's going to keep keep going and and get lost somewhere in the in the body and i remember so well you know i think all girls are a bit cautious about using tampons for the first time Mm -hmm. because you often hear sort of these horror stories that Mm -hmm. have absolutely no truth in them and i remember reading the leaflet that comes in a in a box of tampax and being obsessed about the danger of toxic shock syndrome yeah. <laughs> it's very very unlikely to happen isn't it yeah, it's very unlikely. But i think every prepubescent girl yeah. like knows all about toxic Tox- shock syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> so that is something yes that would happen if you left a tampon in there for for 
day, weeks, months, and it became very infected. Then your whole you got basically a, a blood infection as a result of it. So it can happen, and there is a danger of, of leaving tampons up there. But most of the time, um, you'd remember before, well before that happened, and and get it out, or or ask your doctor to help get it out for you. And don't be embarrassed by that. If you've tried and can't get it out, then the, the doctor will not have a problem getting it out. So I want to talk a little bit about puberty for boys as well, because actually it's just as big a deal for boys as well as girls. I mean, maybe they don't have something quite as big as the period, but it's actually a massive period of change for boys too. Yeah, absolutely. And and the body changes can be just as sort of disconcerting for boys as, as for girls. And actually but, it's but probably similarly, less talked about, isn't it? It is less talked Male about. Um, but also, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but, but if you've got sons, you should be talking to your sons as well about female puberty and about periods and allowing them to understand what happens. So it's not this kind of you know mysterious womanly thing that they know nothing about i think that's really important but for boys the body changes usually start happening around 12 but again it varies from 11 to 14 same as girls and normally the first signs will be changes in the genitals so their little boys have kind of quite thick skin of their around their scrotum and that starts to thin out and become a bit red and there and then that gradually becomes darker as puberty progresses obviously the penis and the and the and the testicles start to enlarge they they start getting pubic hair but um, usually underneath the penis to start with and then spreading around the genital area under their arms so facial hair usually doesn't come till the end of puberty, which is sort of four years after it started. They'll have their growth spurt in puberty, so they'll usually they'll usually you know grow quite a few inches a year during that sort of four years of puberty. They'll start to become smelly, <laughs> you know. They'll sweat more. They'll get bo. They'll get much more smelly feet. They might get breasts so not not the sort of man boobs that you get with weight gain but actual breast tissue and that's from the hormone changes that can that that can happen around puberty and that doesn't last but it can be a bit disconcerting and so, so what does this look like it looks like little breasts on boys you know not big you know boobs but boobs but but just uh, lumps under the nipples essentially and can you um, see them from the outside yeah you can often, uh, sometimes and that can be really embarrassing for boys because they're obviously in their swimsuit a lot or they're in shorts in the in the in the well um, it's, it's, you, they can't cover up their top when they're swimming exactly um exactly. and how, how frequently does that happen how many boys is that most of boys no no that? not most but it can happen you know i'd say less than 10 percent of boys get that get that they get weight gain as well and then obviously their voice will break at some point and that usually takes a while to happen so they'll go through the sort of squeaky voice period of sort of a bit high and a bit low they'll often get the skin changes as well which can be particularly bad for boys and particularly affect their self-confidence and um, so quite bad acne is common, really common and, and boys. for boys and girls you know again you're going through this period in life where you just your hormones are crazy you're feeling all awkward and then you've got this awful acne mm. should you do something about it can you do something? I mean, what? how yes. bad does it have to get for you to say, right, I'm going to put you on some drug that will help you? Or what can you do? Does washing your face help? No, so acne is nothing to do with cleanliness. It's nothing to do with having dirty skin or eating sweets or, you know, it is a skin condition that is hormonally driven. So I think it totally depends how bad it is and how much it's affecting the boy or girl's self-esteem and self-confidence. And there are medications at one end of the spectrum, medications that will, will treat it, but they're medications. And do you want your children a medication? And there are also, but there's also creams and medicated lotions that you can use. So I, I think if your son or you are worried about it, then it's definitely worth a trip to the doctor. So when I was little, I was convinced that eating sweets and not drinking enough water made you have bad skin. Is that just not true? So, I mean, water does hydrate the skin, but that's more in terms of wrinkles and, and, and sort of general skincare. It doesn't, it doesn't cause you to have spots and, it doesn't, and, and eating chocolate doesn't cause you to have spots and, being, and having, not washing your face. In fact, scrubbing your face with acne is probably the worst thing you can do because you're breaking up all the pustules. I always think a low threshold to see to see your doctor and see if there's anything even basic that you can do cream cream wise uh, is worth it. And presumably having that conversation so that they're not sort of in mm. their room agonizing, but they're not, you know, I suppose also just understanding that spots aren't a bad thing and that it's okay. Yeah. But if it really bothers oh, you, no, then I've we had can patients do who feel su- suicidal because there's acne, and that's you know that's definitely worth treating actively, and they often don't talk about it. But I and remember, you can't hide your face and yeah I remember like walking out of my you know room with a spot you know on the end of my nose and I just felt 
everyone was looking at that yeah. spot every yeah. i was convinced yeah. and actually i remember someone saying to me it was it was my friend's mother he said if you walk around going oh my massive spot this my massive spot that yeah. then of course everyone's going to look at yeah. it whereas if you sort of ignore it people probably aren't looking at it because your eyes are way more engaging than yeah. your vast absolutely. spot absolutely so what else happens with boys oh um so obviously they start becoming more interested in girls they start having wet dreams so that's always quite a bit that can be a bit embarrassing for for boys or for the conversations at home around that and that's completely involuntary that's just their hormones and their body responding to to, to the changes that are happening and again there's probably a whole podcast we can do about that <laughs> But again, I guess making, not, you know, if you notice that sheets need to be changed a bit more frequently, yeah. that, I mean, do you have that conversation with them and say, this is what a wet dream is? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not your fault. And there's nothing weird about you. The fact that it's happening and this is completely normal. You're growing into a man. You know, they'll also have the urge to masturbate, which is, you know, again, normal. That you know, it's something you explain to them and done in private or the rest, but it isn't odd, you know, isn't, doesn't make them any different from anyone else. And, and do girls important. have the same at this stage that there's this sort of no. sexual awake, awakening yes, and I mean, they'll start to masturbate as well? Yes, yes, yeah, around that age, yeah. And is it the same for boys? I mean, I say, uh, is it the Boys same? get it much more, much more powerful, I think, in boys. And girls, there's a huge variation. So I think just explaining to all, any child that, that sort of sexual urges, sexual desires, sexual feelings are, are, are normally sort of ramped up around the sort of... 13 14 15 16 and it's not like you're turning no, into normal. a sex addict no. it's just no. normal hormones yeah. and often it sort of regulates yeah. a bit yeah and because obviously little boys will often have erections from when they're tiny, tiny. weenie and they're yeah. still in nappies and yeah. some boys won't at all yeah. do all boys have wet dreams no not all boys but most boys do around puberty and if you know we talked about if a girl's period doesn't start then you do obviously go and see the doctor at what point when would you go and see a doctor in terms of a boy's sort of pubescent development um i think if they weren't developing signs of puberty in their sort of mid-teens so if they weren't getting the the changes in the genitals the growth hair that we've talked about around 13 14 if they hadn't started any of that then you'd want to go and check that everything was okay and you know you mentioned that not all boys get wet dreams and erections like if you notice it you know, haven't noticed that's happened with your son is that something to talk to, to them about, about? No, or no, no. no so you don't need to know no because because it's so very it's so variable between children and you know that will happen at some point and it's not that's not something I think you need to worry about at all and is the sort of length of puberty kind of similar for boys and girls yeah is it four years four so years? usually four years after you've started developing signs of puberty you'll have the body and the genitals of a fully developed man in terms of hair in terms of shape and size of the genitals in terms of yeah, body hair. And then, yes, so sort of around that four-year mark, they'll start usually developing facial hair and maybe starting needing to shave a bit. But again, that's genetically determined. Some boys don't need to shave for many years after that and others do earlier on. If a boy really wishes they had facial hair because all their friends do and they mm -hmm. start shaving before they need to, does that have any negative consequences? No. no. Does it also, I remember thinking, or someone's Other than irritating their skin a bit, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Does it make the hair grow back thicker, shaving? Only if there's hair there in the first place. Yeah, but we all have downy hair on yeah, our Yeah, but face. it's different. That's not secondary hair that you get when you're, when you're going through puberty. So, you know, girls with hormonal sort of feelings and PMS, it kind of fluctuates through that monthly cycle. Yes. Do boys' hormones fluctuate on no. a sort of monthly, or it's just all the kind of, there's yeah. usually a level and it either goes up or down. It's yeah. not a sort it's of cycle. A, yeah, exactly. It's not cyclical, but it's changing. And the change can, well, the change can can stimulate those feelings but they can also but the chain the, the the physical symptoms that those changes are causing can also stimulate the the, the feelings of, of emotion, emotional vulnerability of depression of sometimes aggression low self-esteem it's you know it's a it's a roller coaster those teenage years as any parent of teenagers will tell you and it's just helping them through it and I suppose it's, it's also normal. making sure there's someone to talk to. And I, I'm sure there are a lot of children who just don't want to talk to their parents Absolutely. about it. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't talk to no, an adult. I mean, I have a lot of patients who come and talk to me without that. And, and, you know, usually have that conversation around the time I'm doing their vaccines aged of 11, 12 is, you know, this, there's lots of changes that are going to happen in the next few years if you ever want to 
come and talk to me about it. If you feel embarrassed talking about it with your family, that's no problem at all. And they often will. And they'll have a whole long list of questions and myths that, um, that their friends might have told them. You know, things like, do boys know if I'm on my period? You know, I've been told that boys definitely all know if you're having a period. They can smash. <laughs> you know, complete rubbish. And they'll joke and they'll tease. Um, but there's no way they know. Well, I mean, it's the only thing is that increasingly, you know, schools in the sort of woke fashion are having mixed lose you know that you have cubicles but boys and girls can kind of go in there and the girls just all say well when I have to unwrap my you mm. know sanitary pad or my mm. tampon mm. I feel so self-conscious because mm. I'm in a mixed space and I just don't mm. want the boys to know I've got my period mm. yeah yeah and I mean that I think that is that's a different thing in most most of life you have separate uh lose because of that reason you know you want privacy Mm. but then I guess if we're better at talking about it and as you said before talking to boys about girls puberty and also talking to girls about boys puberty then the sort of we need to get rid of the stigma that it's embarrassing to go through puberty whether it's your period or your testicles but the trouble is everything's embarrassing as a teenager but we can make it less embarrassing yeah and children are just mean you know yeah (laughs) even the nicest children are mean and insecure yeah so it is hard and I think you know, and also if you if you're if you're wearing pads rather than tampons, then you can't swim in swimming lessons, and then you know the boys know you're off PE because you've got your period. You know, and they it's it is hard, and you have to you have to you have to learn how to deal with that. Yeah, and in the same vein, you know, I'm sure I know that you know some girls use that as an excuse to get off. Yes. Oh yeah, my period lasts a really long time. Yeah. I hate netball. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and actually, that is you know how if you've got a, a daughter who's saying, oh god, I really don't feel like going to school today because I got my period. Mm. Like, how sensitive are you to say, listen, yeah, of course, that's fine. Take a take a duvet day. Yeah, it's mm. miserable having your period. Or when do you sort of think you can't I miss mean, endless I think school? Does, I think that does. It's going to reflect your sort of parenting attitude. You know, you'll have a parent of the of the six-year-old who'll keep their child home from school with a bit of a runny nose and others who'll send them to school with a raging temperature you know I think you know life life has periods and life will probably have period pain so it's much more important to find a way of dealing with it so you can actually function rather than encouraging your child that it's an excuse for 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 not doing what life needs you to do that day would be my approach to it and yeah in the meantime while you're finding that solution then if they need to stay home they need to stay home but be proactive take them to the doctor say look this is she's having to stay home from her periods what can we do about it and there are things we can do about it and then obviously along with puberty slowly becomes that sort of start of sexual activity Mm -hmm. Uh, and so obviously you need to have been having really for a long time the talk about sex the talk about contraception the talk about consent and all of those things which as as I said is a whole different podcast but we talked in an earlier podcast about how that conversation about all of these things starts really as early as they can start to understand which you know Mm -hmm. know, when you're giving a three-year-old in the bath you can start talking about their anatomy in a in an accurate way yeah absolutely and slowly talking about sort of I mean our children know all about condoms, don't yeah. they? And, you know, you, you, but you can... Yeah, it came exp- up in a conversation yeah. once and, and it was yeah. just explained to them and it completely didn't bat an eyelid. But, but so, so I think hopefully most children will be aware of, of their anatomy, of uh, what sex involves, what consent means, that, that you know, the whole... You know, schools even nowadays from a really young age are the whole sort of pants are private talk. Uh, so, so I think children are quite well informed on that now, but that doesn't mean we ha- we can we can as parents absolve ourselves of responsibility of talking. No, it to is about such it. an important conversation yeah. to know your child is having, whether or not you're the one having that conversation with your child. Yeah. But it shouldn't be it's something yeah. that's left to school because talking to twenty or thirty children in a classroom yeah. about something very intimate is yeah. very different to, you know, an aunt or a one-to-one doctor or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And, and obviously, you have to be one step ahead, don't you? So you don't want to leave that contraception talk and that consent talk to mm-hmm. the time that they need to be actually yeah. heeding. It. Well, by then they they will have found out their own way whether they've got the right information or not is anyone's guess if you haven't actually told them about it. But but what is quite useful now is because as part of the national vaccination program, boys and girls uh, are, are vaccinated against the HPV virus, the human papilloma virus. Uh, explaining to them what that's for can lead quite nicely into the conversation about sex and and protecting yourself and you know being responsible so what is the hpv virus 
Uh, what, what, why, is it, why is it important for people to have that vaccination? So it's, it's a vaccination that protects you against certain strains of the HPV virus. So the HPV virus is a virus that is sexually transmitted, not, necessar- not only through intercourse, it can also just be through sexual contact that can cause some all sorts of nasty things. So the most serious of those is cervical cancer. So the thing we all get screened for when we have our smear tests, it, it goes hand in hand with that. So the HPV virus sits on the cervix and if the body doesn't clear it on its own, which sometimes it doesn't, can start causing changes to the cells of the cervix and, and develop into, into cancer. So it, it's brilliant that we can now vaccinate children so that if they are exposed to that HPV virus, in any sort of sexual context, they will be protected against it. So there's cervical cancer, but also it's the virus that causes genital warts. So um, those are boys and girls. You know, warts you get around the genitals, usually again from sexual contact. And and it can also cause other types of cancers in the body, you know, anal cancer, throat cancer. So it's it's just something that if we can if we can protect our children against then we should. And it's How protective is the vaccination? Uh, it's pretty effective. It's over 95% effective. And it's, it's, it's not against every strain of the HPV virus. So there are hundreds of strains of the HPV virus. So it protects you against the, the most dangerous ones for cervical cancer. It, now increasingly ones for, for genital warts as well. And this was a massive misunderstanding until we were just talking about this before, but you said boys have it as well as girls yeah. now. So historically, when it was introduced a few years ago, it was just for girls from the age of 12. But this year, and I might be might have been last year, but in the last year, it's now for boys as well in, in England. It's been in Australia for boys for quite a long time and you know, privately available for boys for quite a long time. But it's brilliant because A, those boys will be protected from genital warts, which is never a nice thing to have. Uh, but also they will stop the spread of it to other girls to prevent cervical cancer. And so well, it's, you said it's part of the vaccination schedule. When yeah. do they have the HPV They have it at tw- from 12. From 12. And so uh, the idea is to, ha- and it's quite good to have it before before they are sexually, well, you have to have it before they're sexually active for it to be, to, for it to be helpful, before they've been exposed potentially to the HPV virus. Uh, so again, people have the misconception, I don't want my child to have it because that might somehow give them the green light to become sexually active, which I think... And is not to use contraception. And not to use... Well, it's nothing to do with getting pregnant. Just no, but like using a condom prevents infection as well as pregnancy. Yes, uh, although because the HPV virus can also be transmitted just from skin contact. Again, people think, well, if I haven't... You, know, you can have a sexual partner, but you know, not have intercourse till you're married or whatever your kind of views on that are. Uh, but that's that doesn't stop you getting the HPV virus. Okay. So uh, it's, you know, and, and you can have a daughter who says, I'm not having sex, but she may well have a boyfriend, you know, who she gets into bed with. Yes. Um, so it is really important. Well, so it can be sort of fingers and yeah, without just, getting just, too graphic. Yeah, no, totally. It can, you know, any kind of contact, just skin on skin contact. Oral sex? Thing. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So... Yeah, that's sort of slightly thrown me that last question. Yeah. No, but it's, it's it's. I think the point is, you know, parents who are saying I don't want I don't want my child to have the vaccination because you know she's a good girl and she's not gonna she's not gonna have a boyfriend until she gets married. I mean, that's crazy because you, a you don't know what your children are doing, but b you know it 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 can uh, the HPV virus can be transmitted very easily without getting particularly close. And are there any downsides of the HPV vaccination? So it's a vaccination. You uh, is it a live vaccination? Uh, no, the vaccination itself, as with any vaccination, can cause you to have a bit of a feverish reaction, can cause you to have a bit of swelling and redness around the injection site. But generally speaking, it doesn't doesn't cause. I mean, any that's a superficial little kind yeah. of tender piece on your arm for a few days. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't protect against every form of HPV, so it is still possible to get an HPV virus in some way or other throughout your life but it protects against most of the most dangerous ones Um, and they're increasingly modifying the vaccine so when it first came out it was only protected against two strains of the virus now the NHS gives one that protects against four strains of the virus and actually there is one available at the moment only privately that it protects against nine strains of the virus so and that is and that will continue to be developed so even if your daughter's 12 and she's convinced she's just going to be into ponies for the rest of her life yeah. it's still worth giving yeah, her the hpv because there's no downside well and also it's much easier to do before it becomes the awkward conversation of are you are you not sort of sexually active just to get it done as part of their routine vaccinations and then you don't that they and you don't have to worry about it i have lots of girls who've come to see me for the vaccine who've been really annoyed with their parents because they're by this point 18 19 20 their parents had chosen not to give them that vaccine for whatever reason and they had then 
you know, they come to have the vaccine, but they've been exposed to, well, they've had, they've been sexually active before then. And so their risk of, of being fully protected is decreased. I mean, we never had the HPV vaccination. Yeah, but We're, a lot of our generation have HPV. Have, and it's being sorted out? Or? Well, they're the ones who are having abnormal smear test results, having to have all the investigations and biopsies and, and, and treatments for that. They're the ones who, get, who have got genital warts. You know, the HPV virus also is also the same virus that causes, you know, verrucas and handworts in children. I mean, they're, they're not particularly serious, but we'd rather not have them. So is it worth us having uh, the HPV vaccination? So there is an argument. Obviously, you've got to be at risk of exposure to the HPV virus. So, so you've got to be sexually got, active. With lots of different partners. Well, not- I mean, I think if you're in a, in a monogamous relationship and you have been, you know, for a number of years and you don't have any problems with your smear test results or with warts, then there is no point in having it because you're not going to be exposed to it. If you are, if you've been married for 20 years and you've just got divorced and you're sort of on the market again <laughs> and, um, and you've never had HPV as far as you're aware in your life, then yes, it's definitely worth having it. Does having HPV and being treated for it give you immunity to it? Is it like chickenpox? No, you can get it again. You can get it again. But you can, the body can clear the HPV virus. It's when it doesn't manage to clear it that it can cause problems. And so if there's no side effects and you, you know, you're in a monogamous relationship, but really, I mean, you know, it could be that you're in a monogamous relationship, yes, but absolutely. your partner but you, is yeah, secretly yeah, sleeping around or has just done it a couple of times, yeah. then unwittingly you're exposed. Is it absolutely. not worth just everyone just having it if there's no side effect? Well, I mean, it's it's about weighing up the risk versus the benefit in that particular uh, situation. So yes, if I if I felt that a patient was at risk, I'd be advising it. But of course, they might have been they if they they might have been exposed to it in the past, in which case um, the virus isn't the vaccine is not going to help. Is it just one vaccination? Do they need a booster? No, they need a booster. So it depends on how old they are when they have their first one, but it's either a course of two or three. And so you said it's routine vaccination from 12. Yes. You know how, you know, you'll get a letter from your GP going, yes. oh, it's time for yes. the these vaccinations. Yeah. Do you get that for yes. the uh, HPV? you should do. It's like it depends how your NHS or your GP practice works. But there is a, a set of vaccinations that they have around that age. So they have the HPV, but they also have a meningitis one and they also have a booster for their, you know, tetanus and... Uh, that sort of thing so it, you kind of you'll be reminded and you should have those three but then the the, the the hpv one needs boosters the other ones don't and if you've got a 12 year old who just like is streets away from being sexually active if you sort of say well we'll push it maybe until 14 or 15 yeah, you can. does that mean that they might only have to have two doses rather no, it's than the other three. way around it's is the other it? way around so if you leave it too later they'll need three rather than two okay so, so over it's 15, worth just getting it 15. done before it's a big deal yes. and sort of putting it together with those other vaccines that aren't the sort of you're having sex vaccine yes. now yeah absolutely and what about smear tests i mean i know that you know in in my that i was always taught told it was really important to have regular smear tests and for me it has been very very important Mm -hmm. i know that people are having them less and less do you still need to have a smear test if you've had the hpv absolutely and that is really important Uh, you do and and the uptake of smears has gone down you're right but that is not from want of trying and actually you will have seen probably big campaigns to try and get everyone to have their smear tests in the in you know in the last year or two so bottom line is absolutely you need to have your smear tests regularly as you're called for them going forward as more and more of the population are vaccinated against hpv that is probably going to become defunct actually actually a smear test you'll we'll just be able to well we'll just be able to test for the hpv virus and it's and we're just starting to do that now actually what, and that's a blood test or a uh, it's still done on a smear swab. test so you still have it so they've actually just changed it so now when you have your smear test they just check rather than looking at the actual cells of the cervix themselves they'll just look and see if hpv is there and if it's not it's clear if it is they'll look at the cells and um, but that will probably move to a swab and people can self-sample with a swab and, so and that like would, putting a tampon in yeah giving it less legal. than less than having a t- putting a tampon in and and that so that will that will mean that smear tests i think in the future are, are not going to be are not going to be necessary but at the moment absolutely everyone needs to be going for their smear because tests. whenever i have a smear test they look at my you know they look at other things too they will say oh your cervix looks absolutely fine yeah. there's often sort of have a feel of the uterus yes, and, and see where the cervix yeah. is so yeah. there's you know there's more to a smear test than just testing for those viruses yes. and and if you have any symptoms they would still do all that so when should girls start having smear tests 
So that is also, it depends on where you live, what country you live in. In the NHS, smear test screening starts at the age of 25 and goes up to the age of 64. And if you have, you know, the means to pay for it privately, would you recommend having it sooner or go having your daughter have it sooner? It is a difficult one and it, it will depend on vaccination and risks. And the only downside is the invasiveness of a smear. I personally think that's worth that's worth it if it will pick up if it will pick something up early so but uh, that's an important conversation I think to have with children because genuinely it's not something I enjoy having a smear test but it's really not that bad yeah I mean you just you know I, I some think people you just got to get your head around someone's yeah. going to look at your vagina and yeah. it just it's not normal but you know for the doctor who looks at the vagina every single day it's like you opening up your computer yeah totally but for some people it is more more uncomfortable than others and certainly before you've had babies it's more uncomfortable than after you've had babies i think it is different we can't i can't you can't say to someone it's not it's not uncomfortable but it shouldn't be painful and it is part of what we have to do to keep ourselves healthy as women and so we obviously after sort of 25 when you become sexually active women have smear tests regularly that might be every two months two years three years years, yeah yeah. and some people choose to have them every year privately don't they yeah what about for boys is there a sort of regular sexual health check that they should do because it is a sort of often it's a chat with your gp about what contraception are you using let's check it in are your periods normal all of that opportunity to talk is there anything similar for boys or should they be going to see their so it's uh, it's sexual health screening for boys and what I normally say to the boy patients I look after is, and actually boys and girls, and teenagers are quite good at this now, and the and the and the you know in the children in their well, people in their twenties is before you start a sexual relationship with anyone, you should have a sexual health screen, and they should have a sexual health screen, and you should show it to each other and show that it's normal, and that is that is something that is becoming much more the norm. So, well, presumably, also you could use condoms, you could use barrier methods, yeah. and once that relationship yeah. you think is going to yes. be long term, no, you'd absolutely. like to move on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is only once you, you know when you're in a relationship where you are at risk of getting a, a sexually transmitted infection. And for for boys, that can be done just on a urine sample. They can you can do a, a, a screening test for a, for STIs on a urine sample um, and a blood sample if you want to also test for HIV and syphilis. But but generally speaking, the the the, the, the more straightforward ones is just on a urine sample, and for girls as well. And presumably this also applies to those parents who are not in monogamous relationships that, you know, you should not feel guilty about asking for a a, a screening. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because unless you know that that, unless you you can 100% trust someone's word that they have never been sexually active or that they've had a screening, then you don't know. You don't know. And, and, and can you just walk into your NHS GP and say, I would like a screening, or is that something you have to pay for privately? Uh, no, no, you can ask for a sexual health screen. There are uh, sexual health clinics that you can go and, and book a screen in. So that's relatively easy to do. And people are pretty good about it, actually. But any any new partner, I would, I would do that. But I think, as with everything, it's about that kind of cultural norm. And if we start talking to our children when they're young about the importance of using contraceptions, about consent, about sexual health and being aware of whether or not we are carrying anything, you know, because it's... Because also, it's, you know, um, women, girls can carry something like chlamydia and be completely asymptomatic, have no symptoms from it at all that they've picked up from a boy. And... And that can make them infertile. So it's not that you know people think, oh, I don't have, I don't have an STI because I'm not, I'm, I don't have any discharge, or I don't have any pain, or I don't have any symptoms. And that's 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 not reassuring at all. But you're right. It's about making that sort of, and also that you know you should almost offer as a as a girl go listen. You know we're at this stage in our relationship. I'll I'll have a why don't we have a screening both of us yeah. rather than I want you to have no, a absolutely. screening. Absolutely. So I'm going to a... go off for my screening. Um, are you going to have yours? Yeah. yeah. Let's it's, have a screening date. <laughs> <laughs> I think people, certainly the, the younger generation are much better at that than, than our generation have been historically. Well, it all comes from these conversations, yeah, exactly. which is at the, at the heart of this podcast. Kiara, this has been really illuminating for me. Thank you very much. I've learned quite a lot and I thought I knew quite a lot, but I've actually have learned <laughs> even more. So thank you very much. Where is there a good resource if people want to hear a little bit more? Is there what, what you mentioned that you send people to the NHS yeah, website? The NHS website is really good for this, actually. What um, is that? NHS.org.uk. Yeah. OK, perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. And I uh, hope you all have great conversations with your children around this 
Thank you all for listening to another episode of The Parenthood. It might seem irrelevant, but if you have a moment, please take a second to subscribe, rate and review us wherever you listen to this podcast. It makes a huge difference in helping new listeners find us. For the day today, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Kiara and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>